you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Thank you, Carl. Welcome to Overtime. I'm Mike Santoli in for Scott Wapner. You just heard the bells, but we are just getting started. And we begin with our talk of the tape. It was a rough day on Wall Street. Stocks pulling back. All three major averages closing in the red, although well off their lows of the day. Tech taking it the hardest with the Nasdaq dropping more than 2% still by the close. The index on pace for its third straight week of losses, also threatening a new low for the year. Joining me now to break down today's drop is Dan Greenhouse, chief strategist at Soldus Alternative Asset Management. Dan, good to see you. Thank you, sir. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And, you know, there's, a, there's an instinct, I guess, we get to the end of the year to sort of think that there's going to be a different story when the calendar turns. Last year, it actually happened, right? I mean, we peak on January 3rd. The leadership of the market going into it became the leadership to the downside afterward. Uh, and the Fed really did accelerate a shift. This year, does it make sense to think that the story's going to change? We're sort of kind of going back and forth between inflation's coming down, but how much? The economy and earnings are slowing, but how much? Yeah, I mean, listen, there's, there's a lot of... Uh hullabaloo, let's say, about the Federal Reserve, and there's nothing uh, that's untrue about that hullabaloo on January 4th that wasn't true on, on December 29th, let's say. And so I think from an investment standpoint, the, the, the calendar turn is not unimportant because there are some flow and positioning reasons why it matters, but from a narrative, from a, a broader market and economic perspective, nothing's different next year. The, the trend is still the trend, and that remains in place. There's no doubt the trend is, is clear, um, and it's sort of, you know, got to prove itself that it's turned. You can't just anticipate it. Um, but the levels are different. The sure. valuations are somewhat different. Uh, the embedded assumptions about what the economy can deliver, in theory, have changed to a fair degree. Just how much, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, next year, that that unfolding story remains in place. And so, uh, you know, again, to the turn of the calendar, we're still left with the same unknowns on January 1st that we have on December 31st. How far is the Fed going to ultimately go? And while inflation is coming down, this is the easy part, so to speak. Are they able to get down to four to three to two? And that, that conversation obviously is a story for the new year. And you expect that it'll be sticky uh, at some point on the way down? Yeah, I, I, listen, I, we, we've been, I mean, listen, this is a very complicated and, and, and long conversation. I, I think there's a lot of people who talk about, well, inflation is coming down. Look at oil prices, look at lumber prices, look at the commodity indices more generally. That, those are the goods prices. I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but for, for the viewers, that's the goods prices portion of the conversation. We know that's going to come down, uh, has been coming down, and, and should continue doing so. The second part of the conversation is that labor market part of the conversation. Once the goods prices stuff has, have come down and you've gotten rid of the, we'll call it the excess fat from the inflation part of the conversation, can you get down back to the 2% target? And the Fed believes, it doesn't matter what I think, it doesn't matter what you think as a viewer, the Fed thinks that they cannot, in a sustained and perpetual way, get back down to 2% without curbing some of the excesses in the labor market. And, and like anything else, that's a story for, for 2023 and what ultimately that means for the economy and markets. Yeah, which gets right to, I mean, we've been talking all day about what sure. David Tepper had to say about, you know, the Fed told you what it's going to do. Why don't you believe them? And of course, that, you know, in a don't overthink it kind of way makes the most sense. On the other hand, in August of 
2021, right, at Jackson Hole, they were saying, we're not even prepared to slow down the asset purchases in Q8. We still still think the risk is we're not going to get to our, our employment goals. And eight months later, they're initiating the most rapid tightening cycle in decades. That's right. So at some point, you know, events and, and, and the cycle kind of overtakes their intentions. Sure. And listen, I'm going to make a very dramatic statement here. No one's going to agree with me. The Fed doesn't always get it right. Yeah. And I think when you look at the pricing in markets, to Tepper's point, I watched the video, obviously, to Tepper's point about the markets don't believe the Fed, there's, the Fed's trying to do two things, obviously, bring inflation down um, and, and uh, bring asset prices down. They're doing a lot of things. But yeah. the point of the, of the story is what markets don't believe is that once you see uh, the weaknesses, it's easy to talk. It's sort of a, a variation of the... Uh, Everyone's got a, the Mike Tyson comment, everyone's yeah. got a plan until you get punched in exactly, the face. Yeah. It's easy to say you don't care that, that inflation's your priority once people start losing their jobs, which presumably is going to start happening to some degree in the second or third quarter of next year. It's going to be a lot harder for the Fed to stick to their guns. And what the market is betting on is that the Fed is ultimately going to blink. Whether that's true or not remains to be seen. But I think that explains a lot of the mispricings, sure. if you will. And you don't even have to necessarily say that the market is explicitly countering what the Fed is intending to do. What the market has to do... Although it is. Well, yes. I mean, certainly there's a contrast there. But what the market really is doing is trying to encompass a range of probabilities, which could include a really hard landing and something that forces the Fed hand, Fed's hand or something that looks really deflationary on the way to, you know, yeah. to where they want to get. And to. I think that's right. And if you look at the Fed fund futures market, for instance, which isn't the most liquid of, mm-hmm. of all you could do the euro dollar market, but for the viewers, if you look at the Fed fund futures market, they don't even have rates getting to 5%. And as everyone has observed a zillion times over, basically everybody in the FOMC thinks you're going north of 5%. Exactly. So as a microcosm of the, of the mispricing or the disbelief in markets look no further than that. Uh, and, but, but again, it is a legitimate worry for, for uh, various markets. When in unemployment, presumably it does, starts weakening, and you're not creating two, 300,000 jobs, but you're creating 50 or 75,000 jobs, and jobless claims are not measured in the low 100,000s, but a one or 200,000 more, yeah. is the Fed going to be as robustly hawkish on the inflation front as they are now? That by the middle of the year will become clear, but in terms of the mispricing in markets, I understand it. I mean, it's, yeah. there's, there, we're as uncertain now as we've been in 40 years. And again, like anything else, it's why the bias in markets is probably to the downside still. Where does that leave you um, in the sense of feeling how the risk reward shakes out as we as we get through things here? Yeah, Credit-wise, so, equities, whatever. So, so I'm going to echo something that Tepper said that we're, we're an institutional. Sure. Like we're a hedge fund, yeah. so if you you know we're not uh, we're an RIA, and I don't mean that in any way other sure. than what we have to say, what people like David Tepper and I have to say is is different. I mean, again, if you're an IRA, if you're an, a retail investor, you're supposed to just buy until retirement, effectively. Yeah. Um, oh, stocks, ride it out. Stocks for the else. long run. Yeah, That's exactly. right. Um, but but in a, in a more short-term institutional tactical view. Our view is pretty simple, that the bias is the downside. To Tepper's point, the Fed is telling you, we want tighter financial conditions. The market may not believe it, but that can only persist for a while. And you look at something like the two-year, which I know David brought up, we talk about this every day, just the stunning disbelief in the two-year. It's going to over... I want to be careful with yeah. uh, I don't want my compliance department to kill me. But if the Fed is going to be right, the two-year is probably mispriced. Right, at least along As, the way. 
at least right. along the way. That's not right. necessarily from here to two years from today. You no, never no, know no, no. where that, the rate's right. going to be. That's right. But if you believe the Fed's, I mean, the Fed's telling you we're going to five right. or five and a quarter, let's say, the two year is nowhere near that. Right. And so, and again, this is not the most profitable or actionable way to, to <laughs> right. play this trade. But as a, again, as a microcosm of some of the disbeliefs in the market, look no further than the two year. I know I mentioned uh, several of them, but that's another. Yeah, no, exactly. Now, there's certainly some active arguments going on in the market pricing, no doubt about it. Let's bring in CNBC contributors Stephanie Link of Hightower and Victoria Green of G Squared Private Wealth. Uh, talk more about all this. Uh, welcome to you both. And, and Steph, uh, <laughs> just to maybe bring it to, to how the market has behaved here in the short term, do you, do you think there's any significance to uh, the way that the S&P has been a little bit sticky here in the last several weeks, not really buckling below this uh, like 38, 37, 50 level? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very encouraging. Seasonally, we are supposed to rally if you look at history. And I think a lot of people are very defensively positioned. But look, it's been an ugly, it's been an ugly day today, but it's been an ugly year. We've had a one-two punch today alone, where you had a stronger than expected GDP number, which just reinforces the Fed being hawkish. You've got Tepper, you guys were just talking about it, leaning short. I didn't, I actually didn't think he was that negative, to be honest. And as Dan mentioned, he's a hedge fund versus a long-term investor. And he's watching the global central bankers. Well, we all are watching the global central bankers synchronizing higher rates and being behind the curve. But how many times are we going to discount the same bad news? And that's why I think today was kind of encouraging, right? Because we were able to rally above the 3,800 level, which is a key support area. And so to me, I I mean, I think you have to look for opportunities. We're already down 20% on the year. Stocks and sectors are, some anyway, are down double that or triple that, right? So we have a lot of bad news baked in. And in the meantime, I actually think the economy has more momentum that it's getting credit for. The dollar is weak. That's going to help for corporate earnings. Input costs are coming down. Listen to what Cleveland Cliff said today about input costs coming down. That stock was up double digits today. And you also have a consumer that actually is okay. Wages are going higher and inflation is coming down. That's a good combination. And that's why you saw the University of Michigan sentiment numbers improve and consumer confidence actually improve yesterday. So maybe we can handle all of this bad news and all of these higher rates. Even if we do slow down or even if we go into a recession, maybe it'll be mild. And maybe we already are pricing in earnings coming down substantially. Yeah, that is the question, though, uh, it would seem to me in terms of at least name by name, uh, there there certainly could be the possibility that things are priced uh, pretty rationally at this point. I mean, Victoria, you certainly have been leaning short or leaning sort of cautious, as uh, as Pepper would have said. Uh, Is there anything happening right here that makes you think that the market is has already more or less realized where we're headed? No, and I, not to respectfully disagree with Stephanie, but I think nothing's really priced in. I think you, your, your earnings, if you do your market multiple math and you, you have anything below 220, you're, you're not even fairly valued. You're above average PE at 17, 18 times. So no, not all the bad news is priced in. And anytime we have a bear market, you're always going to have a few signals of hope, right? And we see this as as false hope because just like the summer, just like other bear market rallies, that the, the resistance is held, the downtrends held. There's no way this isn't coming back down and retesting because 
because you have such strong downtrends still. And this reads more like a 2018 December. We had all our seasonality pulled forward in November. Yes, typically you have that great Santa Claus rally. Everybody's getting cold this year. I don't think anybody's getting anything nice. So yeah, we're defensively bearish. I think you want to stick with your winners. They're big, boring, ugly. But right now, I think I want to stick with the stocks that are doing well and stick with my winners and my quality. And we think it's way too early to chase because if we do have this recession, if we have this slowdown and you have all these companies making cuts. So I'm listening to what the yield curve is telling you with this inversion. I'm listening to what the CEOs and companies are telling us other than a few bright spots like Nike. But if you look at Micron on CarMax and these slowdowns in the, these bubblish areas, I think you still have more pain to come. And so as much as it's boring to repeat again, stick old, ugly, stick your blue chips, stick your dividends. I think that's the right play for now until we retouch lower. But, uh, Victoria, it's true. The downturn has remained in place. Every rally has stalled lower than the one prior to it. But, you know, the intraday low in May was 38.15 on the S&P 500. We basically closed there today. So, yeah, it's been, it's been smart not to get overexcited on the upside, but somehow we've remained traction. So do you think that's a little bit of, of sort of delusion in the market or, or something else going on? I mean, it was nice to see that rally back today. I think it does give you this interim support. I just don't think it's quite as strong. So I, I would anticipate if you said what's more likely we break above our downturn on a resistance or do we break below the support, I'm going to say it's more likely we break lower. Yeah. Um, and Steph, uh, you, you know, we, we certainly see this sort of stock by stock differentiation. That's something that, without a doubt, that's come to bear this year. It hasn't always been easy. Um, but we see Micron today where it's sort of like, you know, the street and the market tries to chase the fundamentals lower and they can't quite catch up. Um, and then you have Nike and FedEx where they beat down expectations enough. So what areas or what types of stocks seem to be uh, in the category of, look, uh, it seems like they got washed out already in terms of expectations? Well, I would argue that I think some of the semiconductor and semicap equipment names, especially after today, are already reflecting a lot of bad news. I mean, Micron was not a surprise at all. They have been slowly cutting a couple of times throughout the quarter. And so it wasn't even down that much today, to be honest with you. The cap equipment guys got hit harder for obvious reasons. Um, but I still think that those companies, those areas in tech are attractive. There's a lot of other parts of tech that are not attractive. Most of most of FANG are not attractive. Cloud software, not attractive because the valuations are still too expensive and they're still very crowded. So that's an area I think you want to be very careful with. In terms of uh, discretionary, I think there definitely are pockets in discretionary. I think you, we saw the Nike uh, yesterday. I think Starbucks is an interesting idea. I like McDonald's as well. That's a little bit more defensive. You know I recently bought DR Horton. I still like that story very much for the long term. I mean, you've got the 30-year down 21% from the highs. And so, and this stock trades at like 1.2 times book. So um, I think there are pockets there. I still like energy. I still like industrials. And I think industrials have actually held up remarkably well. And I think that's because they have very strong pricing power that they p implemented a year ago. And so if you have strong pricing power and then you actually have input costs coming down, which is exactly what Cleveland Cliff said today, then those stocks have operating leverage into the new year. Mm -hmm. um, Victoria, I know that you also have liked energy and, and continue to, and I wonder if there's a not a little bit of a contradiction in thinking that the economy is going to have a big leg lower, uh, the Fed is still going to be resolute in trying to tighten things up, and yet energy can work. I mean, historically, those two things haven't really gone together. 
I know, I know I'm about to say the four worst words in investing, but this time yeah. it's different, I swear, right? Yeah. <laughs> Usually, typically, yes, the recession is bad for demand, but you're having such a rebalancing on the markets that we've never seen this happen at the same time. You have an SPR refill support to oil and gas prices, and you also have this big disruption in the markets between what's happening with Russia and everybody rebalancing and wanting to secure their energy. So we see that we think 70 is about a floor. We're still very bullish on oil and gas prices because you have the China demand picking up. You know, they're finally seem to be getting over COVID zero. I think there's going to be fits and starts. It's not going to be perfect. But obviously, China demand, they're the world's biggest importers. So that's a huge driver. And then you you have massive SPR refills we need to do. And the U.S. government did that quite well, actually. They released it at 98 to 100 a barrel, and they're buying it back at 70. But they have a lot of they're going to have to refill. We got to the lowest levels since we started the SPR. So I see that that floor in there and the, the unwillingness of energy companies to do CapEx. If you look at the rig count, the rig count's been like 779 for over a month, and it's still well below where we were when everybody, when we were in the wildcatting days, is no longer wildcatting. It's all about the shareholder benefit with buybacks, with dividends, and the fixed and variable. I think it's a very attractive place to be. And for right now, I think that you they, again, have the pricing power that Stephanie had referenced, especially if you look at some of the service companies. This year was the year of the EMP. We think 2023 is going to be the year of the service companies. So we really like Summer's Day in that spot. Gotcha. Um, Dan, just if you're expecting there to be a little more of a you know, a reckoning that goes on in terms of the, you know, the economy kind of catching down to what the Fed's doing and whatever. Is the premise that it'll be a short and shallow downturn secure? I mean, do you, do you believe it's going to be relatively contained? I, I, the only way to answer that question is to say, I believe wholeheartedly that the only reason people are saying it's going to be, but that's not true. Most of the reason most people are saying it's going to be short and shallow is because of the enormous career risk one would take by calling for something much more dramatic. That said, there are reasons to think that, that the economy would be, would be buoyed. You have the strong consumer balance sheets, right. um, the, the labor hoarding narrative that's, that's been going around. So there's arguments you could make, but I think on balance, most people that say it's short and shallow say it just because that's the safer thing to say. Well, it certainly is safer, although I do think that um, the particulars of this cycle seem to move in that direction, whether it is, like you say, the structural labor mismatch uh, or just the absolute level of activity we got to, and it's nominal growth, it sort of seems like a cushion. Yeah, I mean, listen, there, there are not the type of excesses that need to be worked off throughout the economy that traditionally are there, or at yeah. least in certain pockets. You don't have, well, I mean, other than inventories on the retail side of thing, which clearly, yeah. as I think Dana Telsey was discussing in the segment before us, um, but, but there aren't these large imbalances that are going to, to necessitate huge declines, relatively large declines in GDP. I think the, the jobs market, you know, people probably overhired, certainly yeah, in the tech space, and, sure. and you're going to have some, some pain there. But on balance, I think it's a fair argument to make. My point is just simply to call for something deeper is just... Uh, no, it's a fair point. It's, it's a difficult thing to do. And it's also always worth remembering that, you know, uh, the unexpected is always an aspect of, That's right. of recessions <laughs> and bear markets, and so you can't bank on it just being. It's a, listen, it's a twenty a nice plus trillion dollar economy, yeah. and we're not China, so who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, we can't control it or predict yep. it. Yep. All right, Dan, thank you very much, and thank you, Steph and Victoria as well. Uh, happy holidays to all. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day. We want to know: Are you short heading into next year? As David Tepper says, he is. Head to at CNBC Overtime on Twitter to vote. We'll share the results later in this hour. Now, we're just getting started here in overtime. Up next, much more on today's pullback. Top technician Katie Stockton is assessing the damage where she sees the market headed from here. 
and where you can hide out if there's more selling ahead. Don't go anywhere. Overtime live from the New York Stock Exchange. We'll be right back. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We are back in overtime. Another rough session for stocks with all three major averages finishing in the red, but also off their lows for the day. Our next guest says investors should probably brace for even more volatility ahead. Joining us now at Post 9 is Fairlead Strategies founder and managing partner Katie Stockton. Katie, good to see you. Good to see you, too. Um, So you've been uh, certainly... Suspicious of, of rallies and thinking that the market downtrend remains in place. Are we anywhere close to culminating it or finding some relief, or do you think that this is just what we're in for through the end of the year? Well, I mean, I guess we found some relief already, right? And now I feel like it's been given back to some degree, and it's just a reminder of the downtrend that still very much has its hold. And we have lower highs, lower lows across the board for the major indices. And the newfound uh, sort of concern for me is the mega cap downside leadership. So we have a breakdown in Apple stock. Which uh, the market just can't sustain that really, and it, its impact on market sentiment is quite bad too. So while I don't think we'll have a lot of downside between here and year end, although today was not a great day, yeah, uh, I think we'll see that kind of release to the downside in January. But that could be the stuff of something that gets us closer to the major low. So I have the hope that we'll see an inflection point sometime. So that implies you need to see some kind of a flush or something that's a little bit more. Uh, I guess, productive on the downside to to create some kind of a better base? And we need often that kind of sort of capitulation. And I know it's a bit cliche, but in reality, no bear market cycle has ended without a VIX spike, a volatility index spike. And I think we'll at least see the volatility index hit maybe 48 plus before we have the end of this bear market cycle. And we don't know what will get it there. Uh, But I think that the complacency is sort of real. It's interesting. It's starting to see, and you know, you have to be a little bit wary of these arguments, but starting to see explanations for why the, the volatility index is maybe not reflecting right. a lot of the concern, a lot of these you know, daily expiring options, maybe taking some market share. Nonetheless, your point, uh, certainly well taken. In terms of the mega cap leadership to the downside, that's really been the case all year, though, hasn't it? So, like, wh- is it now gathering momentum that you feel like it's going to be more decisive? I think decisive? it's really Apple. Yeah, so mm. I think it's more about Apple, which had sustained its relative strength to a degree that we hadn't, of course, seen from Amazon or Tesla, Google and Microsoft, or Alphabet and Microsoft as well. But now Apple's kind of joined the party on the downside, exhibiting downside leadership. And it felt like it was the last man standing in a way. Um, in terms of the mega cap. So now that we've seen that sort of concede and now break down below some minor support, I feel like the market with its heavy footprint will react to that. 
Now, you were here to run the closing bell on behalf of your ETF, TAC, uh, sort of tactical asset allocation approach. Where does that now sit in terms of your exposures and positioning? Well, we're very highly risk off at this time. So we have positions in short-term treasuries, long-term treasuries, gold, and also a small position in energy, which is the only sector in our work that has maintained long-term upside momentum and relative strength. We hope to see TAC move into a more aggressive or offensive position sometime towards the middle of next year, so it would be our anticipation of that. I do see some some traders and, and, and technical uh, folks getting ex- interested in gold at these, uh, at these levels, and that's really the levels, but just seeing the trend. Is it just the inverse of the dollar? I mean, what's happening with it that, that sort of seems like it has traction? Yeah, there's been some influence, of course, from the dollar, but the reversal in gold does seem real to me. It's a reaction to the long term oversold condition that had characterized it. It was range bound, so that long term oversold is more meaningful in a range than it would be in a downtrend. So we're seeing a reaction to some real technical indications. The dollar, of course, has lost some upside momentum, and that could be a tailwind for gold, but we are encouraged by the action in gold by the nature of it clearing multiple resistance levels at this point. So, and I say encouraged, not necessarily for the equity market, but for gold. Sure, exactly. (laughs) Um, And then just to get a little more specific, when you feel like maybe we have to have another thrust lower, uh, you know, volatility spike, some kind of capitulation, (laughs) presumably that would require the actual indexes to make new lows? Yeah, I mean, we obviously don't know in advance, but... I would think so. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it's going to take. So 3,500 is support, and yeah. it's an area for the S&P 500. Below that, we're looking at 3,200, and that's been our targeted level really for months, and it still stands in our work in terms of previous breakdowns targeting that objective, and also just based on where we feel the indicators will look better without having that crystal ball. Right, exactly. It is kind of where a lot of the lines come together. It takes you well back from before the the pandemic. Um, Katie, great to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Katie Stockton. Still ahead, the year of the bears. That is what our next guest is calling 2022. The spokes Paul Hickey tells us what he means and what he sees for the market in the new year. Overtime will be right back. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Time for a CNBC News update with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha. Hi, Mike. Here's what's happening at this hour. The House is on track to vote as soon as tonight to approve the $1.7 billion government funding bill. The Senate overwhelmingly approved that package 68 to 29. It concludes $45 billion in aid for Ukraine and election reform to prevent a repeat of the January 6th challenge to the electoral count. A key witness for the January 6th panel's investigation says she was pressured to change her testimony by Trump allies. Cassidy Hutchinson made the statements in testimony released for the first time today. 
Winter storm Elliott continues to blast the central U.S. with brutally cold temperatures, wind chills as low as 40 below zero in some areas. More than 100 million people are under winter weather alerts, including 11 million under blizzard warnings. The conditions are creating massive problems for holiday travelers. Tracking site FlightAware says nearly 2,200 flights were canceled today, and another 1,600 of tomorrow's flights have already been scratched. Really rough for people trying to get together with their relatives, Mike. It is brutal, Bertha. Yes, uh, stay home, I guess, if you can. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we have new developments in the Sam Bankman-Fried fraud case. Mackenzie Segalos has the latest details. Hi, Mackenzie. Hey, Mike. So Sam Bankman-Fried has been released on a staggering $250 million bond while he awaits trial. He's had his passport confiscated and will be confined to the Northern District of California, where he's going to be living with his parents in their Palo Alto home. His parents co-signed the bond and put up equity in their house as collateral, which is due January 12th. The house is valued at $4 million on Zillow, a fraction of that $250 million bond. A former federal prosecutor described it as an unsecured bond, essentially an empty promise secured by his parents' interest in their home, which is all they stand to lose if he flees. There was no arraignment because the presiding judge was out, so Bateman Fried has not yet entered a plea for those eight criminal charges. That should happen at the next court hearing on January 3rd. Mike? All right, Mackenzie, I know you'll be, uh, be tracking it. Thank you very much. Let's turn back to the markets. Stocks pulling back today and with just five trading days left in the year, our next guest is calling 2022 the year of the bear. Joining us now is Paul Hickey, Bespoke Investment Group co-founder. Hi, Paul. I mean, just objectively speaking, of course, uh, it was a pretty bearish year. We did get to uh, certainly uh, bear market levels in the, in the first part of it. But, but also it's, it's been the mood uh, that's also been dominated by the bears. What are you, what are you looking at here? Yeah, so I mean, just as far as sentiment, I mean, you look at just the AAI weekly survey, you have um, bearish sentiment or bullish sentiment below the historical average every week this year. That's never happened in the, in the history of the survey. You've never had a year where it's been below its historical average every year. So we have a real sense of malaise on the part of uh, in investors. There's a malaise in the economy. And there's, a, you know, just a, a malaise everywhere we look. You know, I, I was looking for my cardigan sweater today just because, you know, I kept thinking about malaise so much. But um, <laughs> we're, you know, we're, we're in the process of uh, looking, uh, you know, looking ahead to 2023. And there's really not a lot of positives. And, you know, it's bad when the best thing you can look at is you look back at prior years like this year and you see that the last two times we were down 20 percent year to date. Um, and then down in December uh, were 2002 and 1974. Uh, the next, the year that followed both of those periods was positive. Um, and that's the, the, the thing. When you're near market low and there's nothing, there's nothing positive to, to point to and say, this is why we need to rally. People are negative in all aspects. Uh, that doesn't mean we will rally from here, but it's just when you can't think of anything positive to find, that's usually the case when you're closer to a low than a high. Um, the economy, yeah. go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I, I would repeat that there are lots of concerns about this market and the outlook, but one of them is not that people's expectations are too high, it would seem, um, just in right. general in terms of Wall Street strategists and, and uh, you know, and as you say, retail investors saying that they're quite 
bearish. And by the way, for for anybody who's younger than us, the Malays cardigan reference was to Jimmy Carter uh, <laughs> several decades ago, um, and it was a good one. But w- how to read the sentiment flow uh, in general? Because you could look at prior times this year when we were similarly kind of skewed to the pessimistic side, and it only gave temporary relief uh, to the markets. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I mean, sentiment is just one aspect of things. I mean, the main driver is the Fed. Um, I mean, that's no surprise to anybody here. Um, and the Fed is talking more hawkish than they've ever talked at this point. Uh, there's a little bit of a difference, though, between what we've seen this year throughout the year. Um, for the first three quarters of this year, the market was constantly playing catch up to the Fed. Pricing of Fed expectations was constantly, for the terminal rate, was constantly rising. Since October, we've seen that, pro- that pricing flatten out to even decline slightly. So that's the market uh, thinking that they've caught up to the Fed and we're not being, you know, trying to completely play catch up. The Fed seems to think that the economy is a lot stronger than it is. Um, I mean, I, all we have to do is look no uh, to your last segment. You have former billionaires now living at home with their parents. So that's how bad things <laughs> have gotten go. at this point. Um, but on the, on the inflation front, um, you know, it's it's there's all signs seem to be pointing towards weaker uh, inflation at this point. Obviously, yes, mm-hmm. services seems to be stickier. But I think at this respect, we're gonna. There's a very real likelihood that you're gonna have CPI with a three handle uh, come early next year, and you're gonna have a Fed funds rate close to five percent, and that is pretty restrictive territory. And so, as long as the Fed doesn't go much, doesn't ratchet things up a little more here, I think we can stay in at least this range bound area that you've been discussing so much. Um, yeah. You know, and, the market and, you know, really hasn't done anything in over six months. That's right. Um, And I do think it is still interesting that if you really do separate out uh, either just all of tech or just the very largest growth stocks from the index, it's it's been a much less dramatic story on the downside. Whether that continues or not is difficult to say. But that group hasn't really gotten much cheaper, if at all, relative to the overall market, you know, in the last year uh, of, of, of trying, so to speak. Right. Um, so, yeah, like you said, the average stock is up 4% since the last time the S&P was at this level um, in, in June. So, um, you know, the, underneath the surface, we've seen a little bit better performance. But tech set, the tech in general, it's gotten a little cheaper relative to the market, but it's still trading at a, a premium, an above average premium to the market versus history, where you use other, other sectors like, you know, materials, healthcare, and financials, which are much more reasonably valued relative to their historical history. Uh, so I think in, the, in that respect, you can see there's certain you have to take it sector by sector and even stock by stock, especially in the tech sector. So, I, you know, there, there's always a, a little bit of a discussion about whether to really reach for some some laggards or some discarded stocks at the turn of the year. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on Disney, because not only has it been a huge uh, underperformer, it's sitting at levels, the stock that it first reached in like 2014. It's over eight years ago. Yeah, I mean, Disney has just been a disaster this year for um, anyone holding it, and it's been extremely weak. It's back to its COVID lows. I mean, there are some major headwinds that Disney is facing. The the, um, the content and cable issues uh, is one thing. You have economic concerns, which would weigh on the stock um, if we do go into a recession. And you have some self-inflicted wounds uh, by the company's prior management getting involved in 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 areas where they probably could have just sat on the sidelines. 
So I think with Iger back at the helm, I think some of these self-inflicted wounds may not be as prevalent. But you have this sector underperformed. There's only been two other times in the last 50 years where the stock has underperformed the market by as wide a margin as it is now. You have to go back to the early 80s one time and just after uh, the 2000 crash the other time. So in that respect, I mean, I don't know if Disney is a good play for the next three months here, but if you're willing mm-hmm. to hold on to this stock, um, it's, you know, it, it's a blue chip American company and that I, th- I think it will reward you holding on to it. Um, just they tend to do things right. Yeah, no, it's an interesting uh, uh, contrarian call right now, given uh, given all the noise in that group and with the stock. Uh, Paul, great to talk to you. Thanks very much. You too, Mike. Merry Christmas. All right. Take care. You too. Up next, recession resilient retail plays. One analyst says bet on these stocks if you think the economy is headed for a big slowdown. We will bring you the names. And don't forget, you can catch us on the go by following the Closing Bell podcast on your favorite podcast app. Overtime, we'll be right back. We are back in overtime. The retail sector getting hit in today's drop as recession fears grow on Wall Street. But my next guest has a few places to hide out in retail if the economy slows. Let's bring in Peter Keith, senior research analyst at Piper Sandler. Uh, Peter, good to have you uh, with us. I mean, I guess let's start off with the premise. Um, So is it uh, you think it's a pretty far gone conclusion that the consumer is going to struggle into next year, that we will actually have the uh, recession fears realized? Yeah, um, I think there's just a lot of cross currents with the consumer. There's certainly some positives and negatives. I'm going to lead a lot in our Piper Macro team. They think we're going to have this slow grind into a recession in the back half of 2023. And I kind of see consumer spending following that path. You probably see employment uh, tick down. Uh, savings is continuing to draw down. So we just see consumer spending overall not falling off, but just kind of slowly grinding down. And so we want to play names that we think could be a little more resilient to that type of backdrop. Yeah, what are the attributes of the kinds of companies that you think uh, can withstand that pressure? Yeah, so um, a good example would just be companies that might benefit from some type of trade down, right? If consumers are feeling a little more strained, they want more value shopping, uh, where might they go uh, as, a, as a place to save money? We think the dollar stores are uh, a great place for that, like a dollar general. Um, now, interestingly, trade down hasn't occurred much in 2022 because there's just markdowns everywhere. There's been so much inventory across retail. There are promotions all over the place. The inventories are starting to get cleaned up. We think that is uh, largely normalized for 2023. And so trade down probably accelerates, in our view, again, as, as uh, the jobless claims uh, likely tick up. So, so Dollar General is one that we really like a lot. It's a high-quality name, safe haven in that trade down environment. All right. Um, interested also in uh, Planet Fitness as a thought that it's, I guess, some some kind of a value uh, play. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, Planet's the, the value play in the in the gym space. It's the ten dollar a month membership. Um, so look, there could be some trade down there. People maybe pay fifty dollars a month and they want to save some money. But what's great about Planet is that yeah, they are still not back to their pre-COVID uh, members per gym level. And and we're going to January. It's really kind of uh, peak season for, for new member signups. A year ago, their signup season got disrupted by Omicron. So now as we just pivot into January, just in a, you know, another week or two, we think they're going to be uh, seeing a lot of new member signups. They're going to start off the year with a great start. And at the end of the day, it's a great value offering for the consumer at $10 a month. So we don't think there's going to be any economic impact 
they and they, they comp very strongly in the last recession. And then uh, love your quick thought on Boot Barn and why uh, why that's a recession proof uh, category. Yeah. So Boot Barn's um, also kind of our favorite valuation play. Uh, you know, it it's been really beat up this year. It's at about ten times earnings. And in my space, stocks that have a lot of store growth opportunity just get really nice valuations. So Bufarn's growing store base by over 10% per year. Companies that I follow that do that generally trade at 20 times earnings. So Boof, you're getting like a 50% discount at 10 times earnings. The reality is Bufarn also just sells a lot of functions product. It's what people wear in their job. Um, it's mm. about 70% of the sales are functional use. And here again, in our macro team, we're seeing this big shift to onshoring. And, and more U.S. production. So we think Boot Barn's very well positioned with kind of where the economy's going. And we think it's a cheap stock and, and certainly warrants a look. Interesting. All right. Yeah, it has uh, been cut in half already in terms of share price. So uh, certainly low expectations greeting next year. Peter, uh, great to catch up with you. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, Mike. All right. Coming up, we're tracking some big stock moves in overtime. Pippa Stevens is standing by with those. Hi, Pippa. Hey, Mike. Well, lower avocado prices hitting one major producer. Plus, this EV name is on track for its worst month ever. Your overtime movers are coming up next. We are tracking the biggest stock movers in overtime. Pippa Stevens has them for us. Hey, Pippa. Hey, Mike. Well, avocado company Mission Produce taking a hit after fourth quarter revenue came in below expectations. The company pointing to persistent cost inflation and said average avocado selling prices decreased by 10 percent. Part of that, though, offset by higher volumes sold. And Tesla shares extending today's slide, which saw the stock drop nearly 9% in its worst day since June. The company doubling discounts on some models, prompting concerns around consumer demand. The stock now down 16% this week, on track for its worst week since March 2020 and its worst month on record. And ChargePoint's chief technology officer is leaving the company. In the filing with the SEC, the EV charging company said the executive will depart on January 31st shares of charge point slightly lower on that announcement. Mike. Pippa, thank you. Appreciate it. Up next, you're set up into tomorrow. How you should position yourself following today's drop. We are back right after this. We have some sad news to report on a familiar face to many of our viewers. Guggenheim Partners CIO Scott Minard passed away unexpectedly yesterday. He died from a heart attack while working out. Guggenheim founder and CEO Mark Walter releasing this statement today, saying, quote, Scott was a key innovator and thought leader who was instrumental in building Guggenheim investments into the global business it is today. He'll be greatly missed by all. My deepest condolences are with his husband, family, and loved ones. Scott Minard was 63. To the results of today's Twitter question, we asked, are you short heading into 2023? The majority of you saying no, though close to 40% saying yes. That sounds pretty high in terms of a percentage of investors out there who might actually be outright short this market, uh, down 20% so far this year. Let's get another look at how we closed out the day. The major averages all falling with tech leading the losses. Uh, we did see about a 1% rally back in the S&P from the lows. So what's the setup for tomorrow? CNBC contributor Victoria Green of G Squared Private Wealth is back with us. And thank you for coming back, uh, Victoria. So uh, just 
I mean, I guess the basic level, we saw another test of kind of the low end of this range. We are going to get some data in the morning, right? November uh, PC yeah. inflation as well as University of Michigan sentiment. What, what would you be keying off of? Uh, yeah, I think that the income and personal income and spending numbers we're getting out could move the markets a little bit like today. You know, if they come in hot, more spending, more more income, that's a little more inflation. And also we're seeing consumers start to spend more on debt. So very interested where those numbers come in, what sentiment looks like, durable goods. I think that data dump's going to move the markets. Looking at if we hold this 38 kind of support that held today, you know, we're looking at the three weeks in a row of downturns doesn't look like we're getting a santa claus rally but sometimes it comes a little late so i think uh, we're gonna have to see what the data comes in in the morning and and it probably is pretty light trading day tomorrow though because most people do take take some time off for the holidays but uh, i think we'll we'll see yeah. what what santa brings it wouldn't be too surprised if it was a bit uh, gappy out there in terms of uh, liquidity conditions and uh, yeah i always like to remind you, if we're going to go by the strict definitions the santa claus rally does get underway tomorrow the santa claus rally period it's yes. the last five trading days of a year first two of the next and what's interesting to me too is it's not so much that it's so strong you know on average i think it's like a one one point two percent gain on average but when it doesn't rally over that period it has usually meant not so good things for the for the coming year it's like an extra pin in the voodoo doll Correct, correct. And it, it is. It's a, it's a strange phenomenon. If, it, if Santa doesn't come the last week of the year, January looks pretty ugly. So we'll, we'll see. 2018 did see the Santa Claus rally kick in to kind of help help that disastrous end of the year there. Yeah. We're not quite as off as bad as 18, but we'll have to see uh, what's in the cards and if the support holds or if, if we see it give way with uh, strong data, putting, a, putting more uh, fuel on the fire of inflation. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, what's interesting today, there was really not a lot of action in the bond market in reaction to, you know, the GDP revisions yeah. or anything like that. It didn't seem to be the driver. I mean, do we think that the bond market more or less has the Fed priced or, or has the growth outlook priced and it doesn't have to do a lot? Or what's your read on that? Well, I think until it gets more kind of important data points, not to say tomorrow's data isn't important, but I think the bond market is going to move again when we, we get some more CPI numbers and some of the bigger data points. I think you're going to see further flattening and inversion, and I think the two-year could continue to potentially move up if the Fed is right. So there's this huge disconnect right now in the bond market of what the Fed is saying and what's priced in with futures, and I think that is going to come to a head at some point. Either the Fed breaks like the bond market thinks it's going to, or the bond market is going to have to very hastily and painfully readjust to a very hawkish tightening Fed. Uh, and we'll have to see how long QT keeps going. There's a high correlation between QT and running off the balance sheet and what's happened especially to growth in tech stocks. If you look at that chart, mm -hmm. that's a very, very highly correlated chart. So if you look at the bond market, sure. I think you really have to think uh, it, it right now. Do you believe the Fed or do you believe futures? Yeah, no, that is uh, that is going to be the debate as we carry through the next year. Absolutely. Victoria, appreciate the time today. Thanks so much. Absolutely, Mike. Merry Christmas. Gonna, all right, you as well. And that is going to do it uh, today for Overtime. Fast Money starts right now. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 